welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Oh, bless that wonderful name of Yeshua HaMashiach, wonderful king. Um, thank you all for the well wishes. Um, keep praying for my wife. Her neutrophil is increasing, but we're still being safe. She's been in there. She's been a soldier and a trooper in the hospital. Um, just been a, been a trooper and a soldier, and so we're thankful for her, and we through it all, still know our God is good. <laughs> he is still good and he's great and he's worthy of praise no matter what storm comes your way. Amen? Amen. Amen. I well, wish my son, my oldest living child, a happy 21st birthday. Amen. <laughs> Honorable Emmanuel, son. Love you, son inside joke. Um, well, let's get in the scriptures anchored in Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. While we go there, men, make sure y'all jump in on this Saturday. Excited to be with you guys this Saturday. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. One, two, three, read. Yeah. Amen. In this segment of our series through Anchored, I'd like to talk about Anchored in the Promise Keeper. Anchored in the Promise Keeper. How many of y'all know God to be a Promise Keeper? Amen. But let's talk to him. King of Kings, um, you are the Promise Keeper. We set our faces towards no one else's word but yours. So today, sin oil that makes preaching clear, you glorified, and your people edified. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength 
and our Redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Anchored in the promise keeper. A kid uh, whose parents weren't together wanted his father to take him out. His father would make the promise that he was going to pick him up. Um, this was uh, in the time of no cell phones. And so the son uh, was so excited, but when it was time for his father to pick him up, he sat on the porch waiting for his father to come. And an hour passed, no dad, two hours passed. And after two hours, he ended up sitting on the curb. And as he sat on the curb, he, every passing car that went by, he was expectantly wanting to see his dad because he was excited about being with his father and he was also excited about where his dad was going to take him. Well, hours passed, and his mother ended up bringing him in the house. And so a second time, the father promised that he was going to pick him up. And you guessed it, the same thing happened. And a third and a fourth time. When the fifth time came where the father made the promise that he was going to pick him up, the son didn't bother to get ready. Because in his mind, he had set a pattern that his promises don't matter. But what's interesting about our God, our Heavenly Father will make you wait, but He won't leave you stranded. Our God will make you wait, and our God, he, He'll keep you waiting, but He will never be a no-show because I'm so glad that our Father isn't a deadbeat dad. And some of us are in situations right now where we are asking God to fulfill his promises to us, things, I mean, that are in the Bible, not something you felt like he promised you. You know, there's a difference between feeling promises and biblical promises. Feeling promises is what you want, and you felt like the Holy Spirit told you something that's not in the Word and not necessarily wrong, but you believe God's going to do it. And so what's end up happening is you begin believing God for something he doesn't biblically owe you. So you have to be careful of making personal preferences biblical principles. Because when you make personal preferences biblical principles, you create an environment of disappointment towards God in your life. Why are you disappointment? Because you're mad at him because he's not giving you something he didn't promise you. But it's beautiful when you connect to his promises. Because when you protect and connect to his promises, uh, uh, it's nothing like going through something and feeling aimless. And then all of a sudden you remember that God said something in his word about the specific thing that you're dealing with. And that you connect to that promise and something immediately happens. It connects to your soul. It connects to your hope. It connects to your love. It connects to your commitment. And that promise will keep you going. Well, we come to a text. In Hebrews, you know that the theme is what? One, two, three? Yes, so you know every sermon is basically Jesus is better, don't give up, and I'm just teaching it in a different way. And so here in this passage, he's showing that Jesus is better and don't give up through showing us that God's promises are worth us remaining faithful to him. That's, that's really all he's saying in this text, but he's going to say it 
in a complex, nuanced, simple, and kind of awestruck way with, 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 with not just, it's not, it's about his promises, but anybody can make the promise. It's about the character of the one who's promising. Because if the character of the one who's, who's promising always keeps their word, you, you're on point with that. One of the words we used to say back in the day, they don't say it no more, word is bond. We used to say that. You know, in, in, in the streets, you know, when you gave your word, it's street code. It ain't written nowhere. But if you give your word, you're going to do something. You're supposed to follow through with that, John. And when you don't, if you're from a certain block, there's consequences for not holding down your word. Well, 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 well here, we're studying and looking into someone who never, ever fails in his promises and his commitment to you, point one and only one point, and then I'm done. I'm preaching to myself today, and so if amens don't come, I'm going through so much right now that I, listen, this for me, so, so, so I, must, I may say amen to myself if y'all don't say it, because I'm, I'm preaching in the trenches this morning, and I'm okay with it, because, 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 because I, I need to preach the gospel to myself. And so I got one point and one point only. God has gone more than the extra mile to secure our trust and commitment. He's done more than enough. Somebody say more than enough. He's done more than enough. Trek with me, please. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. The, the doors of the church are open. Um, that's the most swaggy statement in Scripture. It's just swaggadocious, right? But let's deal with the first part of the verse. For when he made a promise. What's the nature of the promise of God to Abraham? I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's interesting that Abraham, this is beautiful, Abraham got a different type of promise, but it was the same desire that God had in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam and Eve, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it, he told them. And so God wanted God's dream, God's vision. This is God's big vision. And his big vision is for there to be an earth full of men and women who love and look like him. That's the bottom line of his dream. But Adam and Eve let the devil give them a dream. And that dream wasn't to spread the image of God, but the image is they wanted to be God. And so then from there, God says, scratch that. Then he goes, then he goes to, or he goes next, but he does give them a promise. He tells them that he gives, he tells the woman, he said, I know you messed up, sis, but let me tell you something. Your seed is going to have his heel bruised, but he's going to crush that serpent's head. 
So that's a promise that was embedded that would come to pass no matter what Adam and Eve or anybody else do. Somebody was coming that was going to deal with old Slewfoot. Stay with me. And so in, in Noah, God got sick of everybody. He wiped out, the, whether you believe in a regional flood, a global flood, whatever, but he wiped some folk out. And what ended up happening is he restated Genesis 1.28 in Genesis 9, told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. His desire to do that. Well, that didn't happen. And so what ended up happening is God said, I, want a, I have a broad vision. I want all people everywhere to worship me. But what I'm going to do, are y'all tracking with me? What, I'm, what, I'm, what I want to do is I'm going to pick somebody and I'm going to do something impossible. I want to, I, I, God loves to fulfill his promises with people who've lost hope in something. When you've lost hope in something, it is an opportunity. So, because, because you cling to promises more intensely when you've lost hope. And you know that there's someone that's up there that's able uh, to bring to pass what you weren't able to bring to pass in your life. And God promises him in Genesis 12 that he was going to be a father of many nations. Now, you have to understand, to promise that, my man was 75 years old. He was a quadruple OG in the kingdom. Old. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so, but God promises him a promise without the inability in the natural for it to happen. So the only thing he had to go on is not his body. But he had to go, he can look at his wife, and he can look at himself and say, we can make this happen. Promises are for people that can't make it happen, but God happened. And so what's different from Adam and Eve, he, instead of doing a bilateral covenant, he did a unilateral covenant. What do I mean by that? In theology, a bilateral and unilateral covenant is one is conditional and one is unconditional. A conditional covenant means if you keep your side and I keep my side, the covenant continues. But if one break, if you break the side, human, the covenant is in jeopardy. But God does something here. He does a unilateral covenant. He does what's called an unconditional covenant. In other words, he tried a unilateral, he tried a bilateral covenant with Adam and Eve. It didn't work. He tried a bilateral covenant with Noah. It didn't work. And he's going to try a bilateral covenant partially with Israel, and it didn't work. And so what God ended up doing is he says, I am going to make a covenant with you that no matter what type of foolishness you do, no matter what type of craziness you do, no matter how you act, I am determined that I'm going to make what I want to happen in your life happen in your life, whether you like it or not. And so God did something interesting. God did something interesting. He said since he no longer, he's no, he had no one greater to swear by. I, this is good. He swore by himself. Now, you remember back in the day. You know, if you want to tell somebody about you, 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 said, you said, man, I swear on my dead person's grave, you know. You know how we used to do pinky promise and all of that. Uh, you know, somebody triple, double, dipple, double dare you and all of that kind of stuff. See, see, we grew up in the 70s where kids played outside. And um, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, uh, 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 but, but, then, but then if you were serious, you swore to God. Now, we know the Bible says that your yes be yes and your no be no. 
But, but we used to swear, I swear to God, man. You know, everybody has used that. But, but, but what's interesting in their time back then, it says first, I love this background conversation. It says first, they require oaths that the oath giver appeal to a superior. The superior lends the oath giver their credibility. A credibility founded in the character and of the superior. Second, witnesses swear an oath as a means of giving a legal guarantee of the truthfulness of the words. And so what God was like, God was like this. God was like, um, man, who can, who's great, who can I look at to be a witness to what I do that's greater than me? Oh, y'all not hearing me. And so God says, I already promised him, but I'm a promise promise him. And so what God did is he says over in verse uh, chapter 15 of Genesis, or 17, 15 in Genesis, that uh, uh, he told Abraham to get some sacrifices. Y'all ain't hearing me. And he told him to get the sacrifice. He said, don't split them two. Then he put him in a deep sleep, same type of sleep Adam was in and Jonah was in under the boat. Same word, only used three times in the Old Testament for deep sleep. It's a surgical sleep. In other words, you're in such a deep sleep that only God can work. You don't work. You go to sleep and, 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 and you're like, what happened? And you wake up and what you thought you could have did yourself, God has already done. And so God appeared as a torch and a flame. While, while Abraham was in, you ever had that, that, that sleep where you feel like something holding you down and you half sleep, half awake, and you can kind of see and hear, but you deep in sleep? Yeah, so it got, God walks between the sacrifices as a way. And now in their day, if somebody walked between the sacrifices and makes a promise, they say, I will die before I won't fulfill what I said. So when God went through it, um, part of the sacrifices weren't even cut. He cut them as he walked through them. God began to flame through the sacrifice and the smell of the aroma came out. In other words, God bet on himself. Oh, ain't nobody going to talk about nothing. God, God, God bet on himself that he's going to fulfill his vision. And he's going to use them and use Abraham as a means to do it. And so the question is, why in the world, why, why in the world is this said here? Why is it said? Because the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. God keeps it when we don't, but God strengthens us to keep going. And not only that, God's promises are a source of strength to not give up. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. When I'm dealing with fear, I don't go watch a horror movie. I go over to Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you, and I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. I, I was up all night with my son, my, 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 my youngest son, because evil was in the room. He was tossing, he was turning, and he was gurgling, and the Spirit of God was God. You're going to pray. I've been up all night, half sleep, half awake, like a cat praying over my child, and, and fear came over me, but I remembered this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Let me let you know something. You, when, when, when you are in something, you need some promises. I'm by myself. But some of you have been without peace for a while. But my Bible says in Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace 
those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. One translation says, it stays on you. You, you, don't, you, you don't like that? You, you think he's going to leave you? Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will. Everybody, ain't nobody say amen on that promise. A promise that you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Oh, but this is my favorite one. Because when you get heavy and you feel like life is pressing all around you, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find Shabbat, Sabbath for your soul. That's what you find. You better learn how to get you some pocket promises. Listen, you may not know your Bible and have a bunch of stuff uh, 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 memorized yet. We're going to get there. But listen, you got Google. If you don't have peace, if you need comfort, say help, please. Go to Google. Verses on I need help. Verses on peace. Verses on comfort. I don't feel like loving. Verses on love. Verses on people getting on my nerves. I know it's some verses in the Bible. What do I do when people are on my last nerves? Y'all better get you some help. Listen, it's like my mama said. Listen, listen. If it's food, good food already cooked in the fridge, don't be asking me for nothing outside the house. Somebody, somebody, you better McDonald's your butt to the refrigerator. That's what my mama used to say. And, and, and listen, listen, God is trying to tell you, stop going to eat from other places when you got a home-cooked meal already in the Bible. You better open up the refrigerator and get you some of this good, good out of here. You better go over to you some Proverbs. You better go over to you some, some, some Psalms. You better go ahead and let it, because listen, you need a word from God to keep your crazy stable. You need a word from God to keep you going. You need a word of God to keep you hoping. Verse 14. He says, I will indeed. Oh, I like that. Bless you. He's, he's recording Genesis 17. And I will greatly multiply you. Why is this important? God tells you, I will indeed bless you because he already blessed him. But what happened is, God tells him, I will indeed bless you after he told him to sacrifice Isaac. Now, why will God, so is, is God, is, is Abraham now earning the blessing when it's already a unilateral covenant? No. Whenever God makes a promise to you, he always puts or allows something to come in your life to, to, so, that, so that he can see whether in the process of sanctification, and spiritual growth that you will remain faithful to believing that he will keep his promises. So this is, this is crazy to me. God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, God, he's confused. He's confused. I'm pretty sure he's confused. So he doesn't ask God any questions because he knows how that goes. 
So he start, he, later in Hebrews, it says that he calculated in his mind that God, like he told me, this will be the child that will help me to become. He said, you know what? He's going to raise him from the dead. He had so much faith that he knew that God could not. Listen, have you been in something where God puts you through a test? Not so you can doubt his character, but it's so that you can reaffirm the fact that God is God. And let me tell you a secret. You can't let your feelings be on the throne of your heart. Because if you let your feelings rule your heart, you're in trouble. Your feelings are real, but they don't always tell you the truth. And so what a promise does is it gives directives to your feelings. Oh, I'm by myself. Because sometimes I don't feel encouraged all the time. But, I, but, but, but see, rejoicing isn't a feeling. Rejoicing is a decision in the midst of transseasonal adversity to tell your feelings you don't rule me. So the way to rejoice is what you got to do is you got to get you a promise. You can't just rejoice out in thin air. You got to have something to rejoice about. And so when you grab a hold of one of God's promises and you grab it, you say, I don't feel like worshiping. But guess what? I'm finna put on this garment of praise and I'm gonna praise God like the promise is already here. I'm gonna bless his name like he already did it. I'm gonna bless his name like my praise would disturb the enemy's camp and he will get up because I'm gonna lift up his name no matter what and your feelings going to be like, what's that? What's happening? And your feelings going to walk up to the promises of God and hold on to the promises of God because you're no longer letting your feelings tell you what to think. But you tell your feelings, listen, God said that he's going to do it. God said it was going to come to pass. God said he... He said, I will bless you. But then he says this, indeed I bless you. But then he says, greatly multiply you. Now, this is where we have to understand. When God fulfills a promise, it's never just for you. When God works in your life, and when he does a miracle... He's trying to spread the word. He's using the promise coming to your, in, in, in your path as a sign to people around you to be drawn to him. And, and, and in other words, God, God is serious about multiplying his heavenly family. That's what he's serious about. And so God's promises, God promises and most times in our life is not to just benefit us, but always has a greater good in it. Healing has a greater good. Financial breakthrough has a greater good. Restoring things in your life has a good. Meeting needs and breaking down walls. When Jesus healed, it pointed to his ability to renew all things. When he cast out demons, it pointed to the fact that he could overthrow Satan's kingdom. When he calmed the storm, oh Lord, 
it pointed to him being uh, the, the, the God with power over nature. Oh, man, ain't that something? When God calms your storm, it's to show that he owns it. Whatever storm comes in your life, it, and I like the fact that when Jesus came and woke up from the sleep, and he said, didn't I tell you the promise? Let us go to the other side. And Jesus stood up and went. And he had the nerve to step out the boat into the storm. And the storm didn't throw him over because he could stand out in the midst of the storm while your boat is shaking and you going crazy. But he told Peter, you can come out here with me if you want. And Peter started looking at the storm and not looking at Jesus. But when he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he, 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 he stayed above the water. But when he took them off, he began to sink. The flyest statement Jesus ever made to me in the Bible besides it is finished is peace be still. Hold on. I know that's not the passage that I'm in. Peace was there. But he said, be still. And look what they said after that. What did they say? They say, who is this? The goal is for you to say, who is this? For, for you to be in awe of God. And, and when he fed the 5,000, it wasn't. Listen, it wasn't because he merely just cared about feeding them. He wanted them to see that he was the bread of life. Verse 15. It says, and so... He says, after, he said, and so after waiting patiently. Now, 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 y'all. Now, let's, 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 let's work through this. Let's work through this. So, Abraham, Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years from Genesis 12 promise for Isaac to come. Now, you have to understand. You have to understand. Um, they, everything was already gone. She'd been through perimenopause, pre-perimenopause, post, post-post. That's why when God said, your wife will have a child next year, she was 90. She was, she was, in her, she was 90. She said, <laughs> she over there doing something. She said, uh-uh-uh. And, and then Abraham said, why did you? She said, man, she said. And then what she said was funny. How will, how, will I get pleasure again? <laughs> I don't even know what she said. Don't want to exegete it. I don't know what that means. But all I know is she thought that it was ridiculous. But little did they know that God was going to take her back through postmenopause, menopause, perimenopause, premenopause, and take her off all pauses at that point. Little did she know, everything that God gave Abraham was going to be in the mix for what God was going to do. Amen. It's in the Bible. That, that, that right there is the miracle. My man's was 99, 100. Amen. Anyway. But the Bible says they waited patiently. One of the keys to being a Christian is you got to learn the art of waiting when God seems slow. 
That, like, that is the Christian, that's the real, that's not the real Christian life, R-E-E-L Christian life. This is the R-E-A-L Christian life. You can, you can look at these reels if you want to and see what these, God's about to do it, it's about to happen. God told me three days from now, three weeks from now, he about to, no. Most of the time, God takes time. The Christian life, listen, is a, is a crock pot, not a microwave. God likes things tender. You may cook something quick and it gets seared, but it'll pull all the juices out of it. God wants to work and break some stuff down in your life over time. Now listen, this, this was funny though. Abraham had no scripture. Now we don't know what his history was God was like when he was in the land of Ur. He had no miracle and he didn't have much of a reference point that we know of. But look at us. We have the, all, all types of Bible translations. We got software, internet, commentaries, historical books, archaeology. We, we got every, the history, we got all this stuff. And it takes more for us to just be patient and wait on God than with Abraham who had less than what we had and he was still holding on God's unchanging hand. Verse 16. He said, for people swear by something greater than themselves and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. It says, because God wanted to show, this is so dope, wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. What does that mean? Basically, that God wanted to show, we're going to see it more clearly because Abraham, we'll see later in Hebrews, that all the promises didn't come to pass in his lifetime, but he was still believing God that the promises were going to take place. But he wanted to show us clearly that his promise was unchangeable because he did, he, because what did he do? God guaranteed it with an oath. That means that when, when, when God, God, God overdoes stuff sometimes. But why does he do it? Because what life is like. So we, 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 his unchangeable promises and purpose points to his decrees. Somebody say decrees. Now decrees are interesting because we got all these people out here talking about they decree and declare this. But decreeing and declaring is a unction verbally by a sovereign that something will happen based on what they say. That's a decree. That means you have the power to make something happen. Uh, um, so, but with God's decrees, there's two aspects. There's the direct will of God and there's the permissive will of God. The direct will of God, stay with me. There are some things in which God is the author that he made happen. He actively brings about events and he creates. He controls the universe and he establishes kings and governments. His permission will, permissive will is this though. His permissive will, even though God has determined all things, not determinism, he may actively bring about them himself or he may bring them about through secondary causes like sin. In other words, God didn't sin, but sin doesn't get in the way of what he does. In other words, when God has an unconditional promise on your life, listen, your sin and your, our dumb decisions doesn't stop his plan, but he can actually use our stupidity to his glory. Oh, okay. Let me say it again. If somebody got on drugs... God didn't put them on drugs. That wasn't their purpose. 
right? But God saves them, and God will recycle their experience as a drug addict, sometimes as a ministry, to do what? To bring people to Jesus Christ. In, 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 other, in other words, something in your life that you thought got in the way of God using you, you may have got out of his perfect will and got into his permissive will, but because of his unchangeable purpose, based on his decrees, he can and will still bring to pass his promises despite the decisions that you made and even use it as a mechanism to draw people to himself. And it's funny. God overdid it. He wanted to overdo it. He, it says he guaranteed it with an oath when he swore by himself. And those oaths were interesting because he'd say in one place uh, over in uh, uh, Psalm 89, he says, once for all, I have sworn an oath by my holiness. I will not lie to David. The Lord, in another passage, swore an oath to David, a promise he will not abandon. Another verse, verse 23, says, by, uh, by himself I have sworn, truth has gone from my mouth, I, a word that will never be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will swear allegiance to me. Why does all of this matter? Why does all of this matter? Um, number one, it's an encouragement that you endure because all of your life is a part of God's grand plan. Not only that, no season in your life is wasted. Some of you may feel that you've been in a holding pattern in your life, but even in the season you're in, God is still working on your life. Nothing in our lives can disrupt God's eternal plans. No one in this world or beyond can stop his plans. But not only that, God, God, God's longer purpose in the universe brings hope. Now look at verse 18. I'm almost done. He said, why does he do this? So that through two unchangeable things, that's his promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie. Now you know what? God is omniscient, meaning he's all-powerful. You know that, right? But as all-powerful as he is, there are some things that God can't do. There's some things he can't do. Number one, he can't lie. Another thing he just cannot do is sin. Another thing he just can't do is change. I'm, I'm by myself. Another thing, no matter what happens in your life, he just can't do is make mistakes. But the last one I love that he can't do is no matter what happens in your life, my God can never fail. Oh, I wish I had some help in here for some people under the sound of my voice that it's impossible for the Lord to lie. It's impossible for the Lord to change. It's impossible for the Lord to sin. It's impossible for him to make mistakes. But by golly, the one I love the most, it's impossible for my God to fail. I don't know about you, but you may have been through some difficult stuff and God may let some stuff through his hands into your life. 
But one of the things that I love about him is he can never fail. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. And to go into the sanctuary, seize here. Refuge points to the cities of refuge. I don't have time. But, but, but the city of refuge were places that you went when you were in trouble and you were there and nobody could touch you while you were there. This word refuge and this idea points back to people fleeing danger and being able to go into a safe place. We have strong encouragement to go into God as our safe place and our refuge. But then it talks about taking hold of the altar. Taking hold of the altar, interestingly enough, uh, uh, points back to when people got in trouble sometimes, they would illegally run into the temple and grab the horns of the altar. And the reason why they would grab the horns of the altar <laughs> is because you're not supposed to kill nobody in God's temple. And so they said, if I can just get near God's presence and grab a hold of him, they won't touch me. But what's beautiful about us is we don't have to illegally go into the temple because we have a high priest that's ran through the heavens and he's in the heavenly place. And so when you get in trouble and you need strong encouragement, you can run to the temple and take hold of your Savior. We have an anchor, y'all, and it's firm and secure. Watch where you drop your anchor. Make sure you drop your anchor in a solid place. And we enter the sanctuary behind the curtain. He says, Jesus has entered there on our behalf as our forerunner because he has become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Why is this important? Because we have a forever connection to God's presence. Let me, let me tell you something, and this is why it's a strong encouragement, and I'm done, is you have to be careful of not keeping your eyes on God's promises. Keeping your eyes on God's promises should always be done, particularly when life gets confusing. When life gets to a place where it doesn't look like the ideal life that you wanted as a believer or a human on the planet, promises help keep you grounded when your eyes are confused by what you see in your life. Let me see if I can make this plain and I'm done. Um, I don't know if it's Pastor Mark or another pilot. And so I, I was wondering, um, how did John F. Kennedy Jr., why did his plane crash? Why, why did it crash? He's, it, it, and, and there was no reason for it to crash. He said, what probably happened is at certain points when you're out over water flying, you can't tell the difference between the sky and the water. He said, and, the, and, the, and your natural tendency, I don't know if he said to push down or to pull up, but, 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 but he said, you, you have to be careful when your eyes, utilizing your eyes as a way to give you direction. He says, when I look out and I can't recognize things, I look down at my instrument. Because I know that my eyes can play tricks on me sometimes. And so the pilot said, I've learned over the years, whether I'm in a storm or whether I'm in a situation where I can't see, I've learned to look at my instruments. And the reason why I learned to look at my instruments is because my instruments 
can see what I can't see. My instruments has a radar that can detect things that I can't detect. He said, I'm looking out in the water and I don't see land, but when I look down at my instruments, it's telling me that land is on the way. But when I look up with my eyes, all I see is dark water. But I have to take my eyes off of what I see. And I have to put my eyes on what can see for me. And so he decided that he was going to look down at his instrument. And he wasn't going to let his eyes fool him into crashing. Because if you let your eyes fool you, you'll crash somewhere. But if you keep your eyes on your instrument, and you say, I know it looks like it's bad out there. But if I keep my eyes on the promises and not just stand on the premises, God said land is coming soon. God is saying life is coming soon. God is saying breakthrough is coming soon. God is saying rescue is coming soon. God is saying here, but you got to look at. You got to look at your instrument. And you got to tell the devil he a liar. Because the enemy wants to be your instrument. And that's how you get into an entanglement. Sorry, my bad. And so I, I, I just want to encourage you today that that's how I stay calm in a storm. As I keep them promises near. Get like the old church. They used to get cue cards. Write the scripture down. Tape it on the bathroom and all of that. Tape it everywhere. Puts the, leave stuff everywhere. Particularly leave it in places where you get discouraged the most. Promises are some of the most beautiful. And they're not, they're not flighty laws that have to be enacted by man. God's promises are enacted by him. And that's the beauty of being a believer. That no matter what you go through, no matter what life is like, you can hold on to God's unchanging hand and experience life. God doesn't have to take you out. He can leave you in and you can still have joy. And I pray, but I pray that he does both. I pray that he leaves you in so you can grow and takes you out so that you can have a break. Talk to me, somebody. God bless you. Father God, you are the Holy One. You are the true and living hope. And we thank you that you are our way maker, our sun and our shield that gives us light and gives us defensive protection. Maybe there's someone here and you've never placed your confidence. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.